Welcome to the Studying the Bible podcast, where every Thursday, pastors Dylan Dodson and Brian Androsian study a book of the Bible verse by verse to see what is being communicated and how we can use it to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We pray that today's podcast can help you grow just a little bit closer to Christ. In this session, we'll be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, We are coming off of the end of James chapter 1, and the last section of James chapter 1, James talks about this idea of hearing the Word, but not doing it. And there's a difference between just hearing intellectually who God is and what He's asked us to do, and actually doing what He's actually asked us to do. There's a difference there. And so in James chapter 2, he's going to give some more practical examples that demonstrate if we've actually heard the Word. Because we've actually heard the Word, if we've allowed the gospel to impact us and change our hearts, it will lead to a, a, a heart change. It will lead to a difference in how we live. And so here are some practical examples, um, starting in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, that demonstrate that we have heard the word. And here's what he says. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, again, here he's talking to Jewish believers. And whenever he says, my dear brothers or dear brothers and sisters, it's kind of like a new topic or a new transition point in the letter. And so here he's transitioning. Again, he's saying, for those with faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe a better understanding of what they understood the word uh, that we've translated to be glory would be honor. Uh, so for those who have who hold on to the faith and, and give honor to our Lord Jesus Christ, we should not show favoritism, right? Because here's the problem. Uh, if we give too much honor to certain human beings, too much glory, or in our context, uh, too much honor, then we dishonor what God has asked us to do. Because what do we know about Jesus? Jesus does not show any partiality. He loves all of us equally. All of us are equal before the foot of the cross. As we talk about uh, last time, riches and being poor in James chapter 1, that all of us are equal. We all need Jesus, no matter your socioeconomic background, your gender, your ethnicity. Jesus does not show partiality into whom he shows grace and forgiveness to. And so if we show favoritism, we are not honoring the Lord the way that the God that God has honored us in Christ. Jesus didn't show favoritism, and neither should we. Because if we do, then there's a disconnect between our faith and what I was actually at, uh, uh, propelling us to live. And so he gives more details about what this looks like in verse 2 through 4. He says this, For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, If you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor uh, by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right? So when he says in verse 2, if someone comes into your meeting, this is the Greek word that we now know as synagogue, uh, which would be essentially a place of worship. So he's giving a practical example. When you come and you gather and you worship together, if some, someone enters into your meeting, and perhaps this was a real scenario that they were dealing with, or maybe he was just giving a hypothetical um, example. He says, let's say two people walk into your meeting. One is clearly rich. They have fine clothes, gold jewelry. And one is poor. They don't have, you know, their fashions are not latest, uh, uh, 
with the latest fashion trends, or they look maybe their clothes are kind of dirty. Clearly, they are poor. Uh, they're not in the same socioeconomic status. And you direct the poor, per the rich person, to come sit here in a special place, or you say to the poor person, "Go stand over there," which literally might mean like, "Go stand in the back," or "Go sit here and be my next to my footstool." In other words, sit in an undesignated or unappreciated um, part of the room then haven't you made, when he says, haven't you made judgments, of course, it's a rhetorical question in verse 4, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? The answer to that question is yes. You have now decided, you have now judged who deserves more honor, the rich person, and who deserves less honor, the poor person, right? Because what James is saying here is that favoritism is judgment. Favoritism is you and I deciding and judging who deserves more honor and who doesn't deserve as much honor as somebody else. Have we not decided who is worthy and who isn't? Again, this goes extremely against the gospel and who Christ is and what he has done. When we say certain people are more valuable than others, we're rejecting what Christ has done to us and how he views all of us equally worthy of his love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. When we show favoritism, we are dishonoring our Lord Jesus Christ and how he is related to us. And so he, then he says this in verse five. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those to, who love him? Right, so God's choice here to rescue and save the rejected. Remember, Jesus himself was rejected. He was not wealthy. He was condemned. He was mocked. He was scorned, right? Jesus was, in terms of lowly standard, poor and lonely, or lowly, rather. He was, there was no really uh, respect given to him or his name. He was one of these people that we often look past because they are poor, right? When we do that, uh, we show that it is wrong to discriminate against the poor, right? Because Jesus doesn't do that. And what, what does he say here in verse five? He says, the poor in this world will actually be rich in faith uh, and heirs of the kingdom, right? They'll actually be rich in faith, rich in faith, which is alluding or echoing James chapter one, where he says again, that equal life and equal grace is given to those who are poor. And in fact, uh, the poor will actually be elevated in the kingdom of God in some way uh, because, they, because they've been rejected, but they have put in their faith in Jesus. And so in James chapter one, uh, he tells the poor to look at their, to exalt in their, in, their, uh, in their elevation as heirs of God's kingdom, that although the world says you're unworthy and that you don't have any inheritance coming to you in God's kingdom, you should boast in the salvation that you will be prominent in God's kingdom, that you will be given the grace and mercy of God. And so although your uh, earth situation may be hard. You need to do, know those who are poor, those who are rejected, those who are oppressed, that God loves you and that God cares for you and that in God's kingdom, you will, we will receive the, the grace and respect and dignity um, on the same level, level playing field as everybody else. In other words, what we see happening here is that favoritism literally is anti-gospel, right? Showing favoritism, again, is the exact opposite way of treating people uh, compared to the way that God has treated us. He doesn't say to those who have more power or influence or are more attractive or have more money, I'm going to, I need you, or, or, I'm going to save you first and the poor, and maybe if you, you know, come around, that'll be fine. He doesn't do that. He says the poor, the oppressed will be elevated in the kingdom of God because they will be given the dignity and respect uh, that they deserve that they are not giving in this world. And to show favoritism 
is to reject people that God has not rejected. To show favoritism is to dishonor people that God wants to honor and forgive and give grace. And so James is saying, don't do that. And so again, he says this in verse 6 in response. He says, yet you have dishonored the poor. The poor, the same people that God is elevating, giving grace, you have dishonored them. You have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? And then verse 7, don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? It's kind of, James kind of gives some irony here because he's saying this, the rich have always used their wealth to take advantage of the poor. This has been in all throughout human history. This was certainly happening in the Roman Empire. Uh, this is certainly happening in, in our own cities and communities all over the world now that the rich oftentimes take advantage of the poor because they can. And so God is, James is saying here, don't dishonor who God honors, right? Don't dishonor the poor because God actually honors and wants to build them up. Now, again, the likely context here is that you would have merchants and landowners who would take land and possessions from the poor because they can, because they had the, the financial means to take them to court and to do things unlawfully, because they had the, the connections and the reputation in the community to kind of get favors and get things their way. So the same people that you often want to elevate in your gatherings, some of them are the same people that are going out of their way to mistreat you. And so when he says in verse 7 um, that you blaspheme the good name, what is basically saying for our context is that you are severely dishonoring God's name when you replicate this behavior, right? In some small way, when you kind of say the rich person come sit here and the poor person come sit there, you are replicating this behavior that the rich can sometimes oppress the poor based off their power and privileges. You're playing into that same ideal. And so don't do that. The same people that you want to elevate are sometimes taking advantage of you. And this, this blasphemes, this severely dishonors God's name when you and I see people that we think are worth more honor and respect than others. We treat people in a way that is not congruent or concurrent with the way that Christ treats us. And so in some ways that blasphemes, uh, that severely dishonors the name of Christ. So verse eight, it says this, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You see, discrimination violates God's law of love. And what was the greatest commandment? When Jesus was kind of attempted to be pressed into a corner by the religious leaders, they were asking him, you know, pick a law, essentially tell us which one is the most important. What does he say? That the law and the prophets can all be summed up in this. Love God and love others. That's the point of all of it is to show us, to lead us by example, to, to encourage us to love God and to honor others. Right? And so he says, this is what the law, the royal law is prescribed. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the question then becomes, who is our neighbor? Right? Who are the people that we are not supposed to discriminate against? Now, remember, James here is writing to Jewish believers. And in the Old Testament, most often when it talked about your neighbor, it was talking about fellow Israelites. So it was essentially saying, you know, you would essentially be, you might assume that James is saying, well, just love your fellow Jews. In other words, love your family and the friends that you're already around anyway, and then you should be good. But that's not what we see in the New Testament. You see, Jesus expands this to not just to be your fellow Israelites, 
but to everybody. And we see a powerful example of this in Luke chapter 10. And it's the story of the great, of the good Samaritan, where this guy is essentially thrown, beat up into a ditch. And you have a, you have a priest, you have a Levite that walk by and they walk to the other side of the road and they don't help the man because they're busy and they don't want to become ritually unclean. And then you have this Samaritan who many Jews viewed in racist tones as less than, as beneath them. You have the good Samaritan who comes and helps the man in need, right? Just the person who would, you would least expect to help this guy. And Jesus's point here is that your neighbor is not just your fellow Israelites or Jews or, or for our situation, not just fellow Christians, right? Your neighbor, rather, is anybody you come in contact with. Anybody you come in contact with is your neighbor. In other words, what we're being told here is that we are to treat everybody equally, right? We are to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And so when we show favoritism, we violate the law of love and how we're actually supposed to treat our neighbor. And so in verse 9, he says, If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Right? In other words, favoritism is the antithesis of love. Right? If you love, or in other words, if love is, is kind of summed up and all that God has commanded us to do is to love God and to love others, uh, then you break the law and become convicted of the law and transgressors before the law if we show favoritism, right? We become transgressors and we are guilty if we break the main idea of the law and we don't love people well. And so in verse 10 and 11, he says, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. You, uh, uh, so if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a law breaker. No, so in other words, law in, in a Israelite uh, Jewish sense, they viewed the law as a, as a unified whole. And so if you broke one part of the law, you were guilty before all of it. It's a little bit different how we kind of view it today. Like if we get caught doing something wrong, we might kind of justify ourselves by saying, well, at least I, maybe I did this, but I, I didn't do X, Y, and Z, right? I didn't steal. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't do all these other things. So it's not that big of a deal. See, they view the law that if you broke one, one part of it, you broke all of it, which is, by the way, why it's so significant that Jesus was absolutely perfect, that he did not transgress the law in any way, and he becomes our perfection and righteousness on our behalf for those who trust in him. And so, in, other, in all that to say is that favoritism, then, is not an isolated sin. It's not like, well, I showed favoritism, but at least I didn't do all those other things, right? Favoritism is not an isolated sin. If you show favoritism, then you are breaking the law. And not only that, you are breaking the heart of the law, which is to be equally honoring and loving to all people. And that when you and I show favoritism and, and judge certain people as worth more honor than others, we are breaking the heart of the law. And we have become guilty of breaking all of the law. And so verse 12, he says this, he says, speak and act as those who are, be, who are to be judged by the law of freedom. This is how we are to conduct ourselves. Now, the law of Christ, what he's saying here, the law of Christ provides true freedom. That as we follow Jesus, we are given freedom, freedom over sin and addiction and, and slavery to all just saying, oh, you know, how I am is how I am. There's nothing I can do about it. Like, we, are, we are free to love others and to serve Christ in the law of freedom. Right? It's actually in the freedom and the mercy of God that we experience freedom and not restricted and, and, and we're not uh, discriminatory to other people. I think of it like this. Um, at New City Church where I lead, we talk about this often. We say that those who are in Christ, who are follow, or followers of Christ, have received the grace and mercy of Christ, those who are Christians, um, if you're a follower of Christ, you have nothing to prove, 
and no one to impress. But if you're a follower of Christ and you've received his grace and redemption, you have nothing to prove because you have been given the perfection and the holiness and the righteousness of God through Christ, not because of what you, were do you have done, because of what, but rather because of what Christ has done for you. So you have nothing to prove. And you have no one to impress, right? Because the God of the entire universe, which is actually kind of mind-blowing if we try to think about it, loves you and cares for you. And so you don't have to go around impressing, impressing, trying to impress other people about, look how awesome and worthy I am. Because you are worthy because of what Christ has done for you. And so if you think of it this way, if you live in a way that you have nothing to prove and no one to impress, this is extremely freeing, is it not? It's extremely freeing, right? And it gives us the ability to treat everyone equally because we don't have to one-up one another. If somebody wrongs us, we can give them grace because God has given us grace, right? If we truly believe we have nothing to prove and no one to impress, we can actually live a life uh, that fights against showing favoritism because we are free to follow Christ because of the mercy that he's given us. It allows us, the gospel allows us, gives us the ability to treat everyone equally. And so then he says this in verse 13, the last verse we'll read. It says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's saying here is to give mercy and grace to others reveals what he said at the end of James chapter 1 is that we have heard the word, right? To give mercy and grace to others uh, means we have actually understood that God has given mercy and grace to us, right? This is the evidence of Christ within us, that we are forgiving. We are people that forgive. We are the people that, that fight against discrimination. We are people that fight against favoritism because Christ did not show favoritism. He did not discriminate against us. And so we show grace and mercy because he's shown us grace and mercy. And so when he says at the end of verse 13, mercy triumphs over a judgment, again, this is an indictment on favoritism because showing favoritism is a form of judgment. And if we are called to be a people of mercy, then we can't show favoritism because then therefore we're not being a people of mercy. And so we need, God's, we need God through his spirit to give us a heart of compassion and kindness to all people because he did, not, did, uh, he did not discriminate. He did not show favoritism to us. And so when we do that to other people, we are being, in other words, we are in effect judging people. And we want to be a people of mercy and not a people of judgment. And so with that, I want to leave you with kind of three main ideas, as we always do, of James chapter 2, verses 1 through three, 13. Here are three things that we saw. Number one, uh, we saw that favoritism goes against the law of love. Right? Favoritism is judgmental. It's saying certain people are better or more, worth more honor than others. And it goes against the law of love of how God has asked us to live in response to how he has treated us. Favoritism goes against the law of love. Number two, uh, the law and the commandments of God lead to love and they lead to freedom. Right? The commandments and the law of God can be summed up into love God and to love others. This is, why he, this is how he's asking us to live and it is freeing. Sometimes it can be hard. But it is freeing that we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody. We don't have to impress anybody. That we don't have to be a slave to our sinful desires and our addictions. It's not that we're going to be perfect, but that we can have a heart that is, that is loving and is desiring to give other people mercy and grace because God has given us mercy and grace. The law and the commandments of God lead to love and they lead to freedom. And finally, number three, the gospel frees us to extend love and mercy, right? This is hard. It is hard not to show favoritism if we're being honest, right? But the gospel frees us to do that because we have a God who, who gave us grace and mercy when we didn't deserve it. We have a God who didn't say, I'm going to love and serve and, and give grace to these people, but those people, those people that look this way or, or don't have enough money or a certain gender, no, too bad. He didn't do that. And so when we do that, we go against what God is asking us to do. The gospel frees us 
to extend love and mercy and not to be people of discrimination and to be people of judgment because God has not been a, a, a wrathful or a judgment, judgment, judgmental God against us, but he's been a graceful and merciful God. The gospel frees us to extend love and mercy and allows us to fight against favoritism as James is instructing us to do in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13.